four weeks ago, I told you my favorite verse in the Bible. Anybody remember what it is? I'm such a good communicator. No question about it. I should win some kind of award. But within this one verse is our origin, our reason, our meaning, our purpose, our joy, our contentment, our hope, and our inheritance. All in one verse. It's one reason it's my favorite. It's a big God verse, you might suspect. It's a big God verse, so it's another reason I love it. This verse brings into sharp and pristine focus what's important and what's not. Um, it eliminates any confusion, anxiety, misunderstanding, or distraction. I'm commonly asked, as you might suspect as a pastor, what do you do when it gets hard, Jim? What do you do? How do you deal with it? How do you, how do you process it? What do you do when your soul and your heart and your mind is in constant turmoil? What do you do when debilitating fear attacks? What do you do? How do you handle it? Where do you go? I go to this verse. And all that this verse means and encompasses for me. Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Amen. Now, can you guess why? That answers every serious question you've ever had. <laughs> Can you guess why that's the verse you want and need and must have when it gets hard? How many guesses do you need? Can, do you understand? Do you understand my point? For from him, through him, to him are all things. To him be the glory Amen. I don't think four weeks ago I shared, I don't think I shared Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of that verse, and I absolutely love it. Let me just share it with you. Peterson writes, everything comes from him, everything happens through him, everything ends up in him. Always glory, always praise, yes, yes, yes. Don't you love it? I think that may be one of his best paraphrases in the message Bible. So if Romans 11.36 is true, and it is, what is the unavoidable inference for you and me? What is the takeaway? If all things are from him and through him and to him and for his glory, what does that mean for you? One thing it means is we know immediately who it's not about, right? Who is it not about? You. It's not about you. Never been about you, never going to be about you. Who, who is it about? Him. Who's him? Jesus Christ. It's always been about him. It always will be about him. So if you think it's about you, that's your first big problem, right? That's your, that's your biggest problem right now. You got to get, get off the reflection in the mirror, man. You got to get off of it. If you're going to learn how to live the way God intends for his people to live, you got to get off the reflection in the mirror. Uh, you know why this is true? I've told you this a hundred times. Some of you could say it. You know why this is true? You got to get off yourself and you got to get on God. 
There are a lot of ways to talk about this. But some of you could say this back to me. You're just not that interesting. And God is. Is your life a disappointment? Are you struggling? Are you depressed? Are you anxious? Are you fearful? Are you just bored? You need Romans 11.36. You need to understand what God is saying and what it means for you every day that you roll out of bed. Romans 11.36. I've told you, I, I'm an old man. I know I'm not that interesting. I got bored with myself a long time ago. And if you're still young and you think you've got it going on, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're going to need Romans 11:36 before very long. Yeah, the world and every last pleasure in it is just too small. For the eternity that God has wired into our souls. You guys know the passage, Ecclesiastes 3. 11. Now, we know much of mankind might disagree with that statement. They might say, yeah, my life is all about me. I mean, these are the most unhappy people in the world. It is all about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I can acquire. It's about what I desire. It's about the pleasure I can have. It really is all about me. Now, I don't think very many people would actually own that. I mean, they would not want to, you know, be that uh, or reveal their narcissism to, to that degree. But... We know, right, that there are many people who never get beyond the reflection in the mirror. They never meditate deeply on Romans 11:36. But at least these people are honest. These narcissists, they're honest, right? You, I'm sure you have some in your life. At least they're honest. They'll tell you straight out, it's all about me, man. It's all about what I want to do. And like I said, some people won't own it. But really, it's not, it's not really in our words, is it? It's never really in our words. The true test of whether we're a narcissist or not is what? It's in how you live every day, right? That's where your narcissism is incarnated. It's always in what we do. So what does your life reveal? Before we get into the text, what does your life reveal? I think I said this to you a couple weeks ago. If I'm just a disinterested third party, and I'm looking at your life, last 12 months. Who, who do I understand that you love? What do I understand that you love? What are you giving your life to? What matters when you come out of bed in the morning? What really matters? What do you focus on? What do you spend your time doing? Do you have a clue about Romans 11:36? For from him, through him, to him are all things. To Him be the glory. Amen. Is that in your daily calculus at all? Beloved, it needs to be. I know some of you, I know some of you are Christians and some of you may just be churchgoers. I get it. But what I'm saying to all of you, this must be in your calculus. This must be in our Calculus. If you think it's mostly about you, guess who's laughing? <laughs> Satan. 
particularly if you claim to be a Christian. You are a joke to him. He made it all about him, didn't he? You know the story, right? You've read the, old, you've read the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. He made it all about him. Now, he knows how it's going to end. He's not stupid. He knows how it's going to end. And my, my point to you is, if you're making it all about you, you will come to the same end. You must build your life around Romans eleven thirty six, 36. The reality of it. And of course, all that God says to flesh that out throughout the scripture. Again, American preacher, my favorite guy, John Piper. Human life is all about God. Quote, unquote. Do you believe it? Is it real at all? Or is it academic? Human life is all about God. From creation to consummation. Okay, I'm just going to give you three lines and then I'm going to move on. Okay, but I got to, I got to say this. He continues. That's the meaning of being a human being. It's, it's, being it's, it's our created nature to make much of God. It is our glory to worship the glory of God. When we fulfill this reason for being, there is weight and significance to our existence. When we don't do that, it is the consummate tragedy, right? Human life is all about God. So, why bumblebees and orchids and hummingbirds and watermelons? Why? Romans 11.36. Why microscopic creatures under the rock in the deepest part of the ocean? Romans 11.36. Why the pea-sized asteroid on the far side of the cosmos? Because of Romans 11.36. Why angels? Why demons? Why heaven? Why hell? Romans 11.36. Why Jim Albright? Why Shubomi? Why Rohan? Romans 11.36. I hope I'm communicating. And if I ever ask you again, what's my favorite verse? I want at least one person to be able to tell, tell me what my favorite verse is. One more time, Romans 11, 11, 36, okay? I'd like for you to be able to at least validate my communication skills. So I'll say this, God is no idolater. He will have no other gods before him. And that's what he's commanded you to do. No other gods before him, including yourself, including your career, including your family, including your children, including your money. You'll have no other gods before me, the Lord says. One more John Piper quote, and I'll be done, I promise. I said this to you a couple of weeks ago. In creation, God has gone public with his glory. All his works are simply the overflow of his infinite exuberance for his own excellence. Don't you want to taste the infinite exuberance? Those of you who are born again, I know you're in on it, right? You're in on the infinite exuberance. And, and, and you've got a taste for it, an appetite for it. You just want more infinite exuberance. You want more of Christ, the one who gives endlessly the infinite exuberance. You might be a liar, but you're not an atheist. God has made his glory evident in the things that he has made. Romans chapter 1. Do the math. These are first principles. God must be there. Do the math. 
If God is there, then what must you do? You must find him, know him, and subject your life to him, right? Submit your life to him. If he's there, and we know he's there. You know he's there. The atheist knows he's there. There's no such thing as an atheist. We've talked about this many times. He's a liar. He knows that God is there. A supreme being is self-evident. And there is only one intelligible God revelation in the world. His name is Jesus Christ. There is no other. I know there are a lot of, you know, religions out there that's made, they've made up some interesting, sometimes goofy stories, that there's only one intelligible God revelation. His name is Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's revealed in the 66 books of the Bible. So that leaves one question. What are you going to do with him? <laughs> this awesome Savior that Paul's writing about in Colossians today, right? Did you notice as Rohan read the text, it's just about Christ, man. It's about how awesome he is, right? It's just about how beautiful and stunning and magnificent and wonderful and amazing he is. He's God. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying he's God. And he's setting up his argument for the next chapter where he's going to shoot down all the Christ plus formulas that he will be attacking in the next chapter. So if Romans 11:36 is true, and I'm going to get into the text, if it's true, 1 Corinthians 10:31 is a bare minimum response for you. Okay? Bare minimum. It's a bare minimum response. Some of you know this verse. Whatever you do, what? Do to the glory of God. It's just, it's just simple math, man. <laughs> it's just theological calculus, right? If Romans 11.36 is true, and it is, then the Corinthians text is a bare minimum response. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. It's what Paul is saying. It's what the Holy Spirit is saying. It's what God is saying to us. Everything, yeah, you, your soul, your life, your body, your sexuality, your singleness, your marriage, your kids, your career, your money, your investments, your possessions, your internet history, your plans, your hopes, your dreams, your trials, your pain, your sickness, and even your death and eternity are all meant to be for the glory of God. Period. Not your glory, His glory. It's kind of a big deal, isn't it? I, am I wrong? Tell me if I'm wrong. I think this is a big deal. I think God wants us to understand this. I think God wants us to incarnate this. I think he wants us to live like this. I, I, I just think it's a big deal. This is where my mind was going as I was studying the verses that we have before us tonight. So by way of review, I've been telling you that Paul is setting up his argument. He's going to refute the Christ plus Heresies, Christ plus religious legalism, Christ plus higher knowledge, Christ plus mystical and ecstatic experiences. And again, we will see that as we get into chapter 2. But right now, Paul's just going to hold up Jesus. And he's going to tell you he's God. 
which for the thinking person, it changes everything, right? <laughs> for the thinking person, it does indeed change everything. We know historically, we know even now in this modern era that Satan always attacks the pure, simple gospel of Christ by uh, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The Protestant mantra. He has always attacked it, and he continues to attack it. And, and, and I've said it a lot, and sometimes you question me about it. I, li I like the questions. Come talk to me about it, right? But anytime you encounter a Christ plus message, it's always demonic. It's, it, I know that's strong, but it's just demonic. It's not a mistake. You know, it's not an error. It's not a misunderstanding. It's demonic. You add anything to Christ, it's demonic. I don't care if it's the Catholics or the Eastern Orthodox or the apostate Protestants. It's always demonic. All you need is a great God, a great Savior in His name. Paul's telling us tonight is Jesus Christ. He is all that you need. So Paul holds him up tonight and he says, man, he's awesome. Right. You're going to hear you're going to hear, you know, this just like four, five, six verses here. Like there's just this really short biography of how great God is, how great Jesus Christ is. What a great savior we have. Paul is basically saying, look and let your life be changed. Before he gets into the minutia of the, the, the false Christ plus uh, messages, he's basically saying, look, look at him. Look at Christ. I can imagine Paul wanting to write with the Spirit of God holding him back. Are you kidding me? You're going to add something to Jesus? Are you kidding me? Are you serious? You're going to add, you're going to add religion to Jesus? Really? I don't think Paul appreciates it much. I will say this, all the Christ plus messages, not only are they demonic, obviously, they're blasphemous. So anytime you're in a church, when you move on and you start hearing you need Christ plus this or Christ plus that, you need to get out there, get out the door as fast as you can. This is another gospel. And if an angel of light should preach another gospel to you, what should you do? Exit the building. <laughs> Let that man be accursed. So, you heard the text read. Let me pick up here. Verse 15. And he, he Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, I'm going to read 16, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Again, Paul is just holding Jesus up. That's all he's doing tonight. He's holding him up before he gets into his arguments. He's holding him up. And he's saying, yes, he's God. Yes, Romans 11:36 should be your life if you claim to be a Christian. It should be your life. 
For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory when I love my spouse. To him be the glory when I raise my kids. To him be the glory when I'm at the university. To him be the glory when I'm surfing the internet. To him be the glory. Amen? This is what we're called to, beloved. You got a few moments on the planet. Are you, what are you going to do with them? Are you going to invest them or not? Are you going to invest them in you? Or are you going to invest them in the glory of God? Let me tell you, your glory won't last very long. There's an expiration date on your glory, okay? So what are you going to invest in? Who are you going to invest in? Some were saying, as they're still saying, that Jesus was merely a demigod. He wasn't the true God. You guys know the famous saying by C.S. Lewis. <laughs> you know, Lewis says, if you read the Bible, you know there's no metal position. He's, he's God or he's a lunatic, right? He's, a, he's God or he's a lunatic. But he's not a religious icon. That's not what he is. And he, he doesn't mean for you to treat him like that. Well, he's my religious icon, my good luck charm, and I rub him when I need it. Beloved, he's your God and he demands, he demands that you treat him like you understand that he is your creator. And you understand the boundaries he set in every area of your life. You understand them. And you will build your life within those boundaries. Lewis is right. The Bible is unmistakably clear. As the text reveals tonight, Jesus Christ is God. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Jesus said before Abraham was, what? I am. <laughs> Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. There's no legitimate debate here for anybody with average comprehension skills. He's God. He's God. This matters. This matters for each one of us. John 4, 24 tells us, he mentions here in verse 15 that, that it, he's made in the image of the invisible God. John 4.24 tells us that God is spirit. Okay? He is spirit. He's an omnipresent spirit who fills heaven and earth. 1 Timothy 1.17 tells us that God is the immortal, invisible God. <coughs> Jesus is that God. He's the image of that God. He's the image of the God you can't see. He's the incarnate image of the God you can't see is what the Apostle is saying to us. John 1.18, listen to how the Holy Spirit puts it together. No man has seen God at any time, right? You know the text. We went through the Gospel of John a year ago. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father has explained Him. Jesus is the full manifestation of God in the flesh. He's God. He's God. He has explained God. He is not a demigog or an angel. He is God. Hebrews 1.3 Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His nature. There at the end of verse 15, 
Paul calls Jesus the firstborn of all creation. Now, you guys know the great heresy, right? They've probably knocked on your door within the last half year. The Jehovah's Witnesses will knock on your door and tell you that, no, he's not divine. No, he was a created being. Well, the Bible refutes that over and over and over again. Um, you don't even have to be very bright to understand that that is refuted repeatedly in the scripture. So I'm not going to waste any good time, you know, trying to defend that case. If you have questions about that, you can come and ask me. Truly, a superficial reading of the Bible refutes the fact or the claim that the Jehovah's Witnesses make. So I'm not going to spend any more time on that. In fact, the original language here, the construction of the original language here helps us understand exactly what's being said, right? What's being said is, is that Jesus has the rights of inheritance. Jesus is the ranking son. Jesus is the legal heir. Jesus is preeminent. That's what the text means. The Colossians were fighting this, this heresy of all these Christ plus, you know, gospels. You don't need a plus. He's preeminent. You don't need a plus. You don't need sacraments. You, you don't need religion. You just need Christ. You just need him. Hebrews 1, 2 amplifies this truth. It reads, in these last days, God has spoken to us in his son, who he appointed heir of all things. This is illustrated. You can turn with me if you want. I'm going to go back to Revelation chapter five, and I'm just going to pick up here in verse eight. Here's the preeminent one. Here's the heir of all things. Paul is, uh, pardon me, John is distressed. No one, is, no one has been found to open the scroll, right? And this is what we read, Revelation 5, verse 8. And when Jesus had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp and, a golden, and, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, and purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and, uh, and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. He's the preeminent one. Okay, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Oh, yeah, it's Romans eleven thirty six. It's all about Christ. It's always all about him. Verse 13, and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. So, don't listen to the cults. You stay on the, you stay on the text, right? You stay on the text. 
we know who he is. And if anyone says he is not God, that he is a created being, you can tell them I said that they are demonic. You can tell them I said it. You say, my preacher down there, yeah, he doesn't know much. He's not very good at what he does. He knows a little bit about the Bible. And he said, what you're saying to me is demonic. It's a lie. And where, do, where does every lie come from? We know where it comes from. You guys are biblically literate. You understand where it comes from. Paul continues, For by him all things were created, and all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things. There it is again. And in him all things hold together. John 1, 3, All things came into being by Jesus Christ, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. He is the creator. We talked about it, I guess it was last week. He just spoke two trillion galaxies into existence. He just said, hey, let the, let the expanse be filled with light. One verse. Two trillion galaxies. It's like I told you, man, this is impressive. Are you not impressed? <laughs> Are you not impressed? <laughs> he is the creator. He said, let it be, and it stood forth. This is power. This is omnipotence. You know, I always like to look up the numbers. I think the latest estimate on the size of the cosmos is two trillion galaxies, and I, I I looked up the diameter, the known diameter of the universe is 93 billion light years. What's a light year? Six million miles. How many kilometers? 9.5 kilometers. Six trillion miles. Did I say trillion or billion? Trillion miles. That's a light year. As Job told Bildad, these are the fringes of his ways. Beloved, you have to understand who your Savior is. And then you have to go out there and live like he's your savior. The God who speaks two trillion galaxies into existence with no effort at all. And Job says, these are the fringes of his ways. The prophet Habakkuk says, this is the hiding of his power. Two trillion galaxies is the hiding of his power. And you're afraid, beloved? It doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. He's a great God. It's the point that, that Paul is making here in his letter to the Colossians. You know, if you go read Hebrews 11, the great faith chapter, I think it's verse 3. He starts talking about creation. Why? In the faith chapter. I think it's God's earnest on you're free to go live it big. Yeah, I spoke it all into existence. I did that. You're my people. I've redeemed you by the shed blood of my son. Yeah, go out there and live it. Go out there and live it huge, right? Go live it huge. There are no excuses. There are no excuses for the true believer. There are no excuses. You have all that you need. You have the word of God. You have the spirit of God. You have the promise of God. You don't need anything else. Go do it. If you're not doing it, beloved, go do it. You're a vapor. You are a vapor upon the earth. Paul says, 
Jesus created everything visible and invisible. He mentions thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. These are simply ranks of various angelic beings. Some people were saying Jesus was equal to an angel. He's infinitely above an angel. Okay, this is Paul's point. He's above the angels. He created the angels. This is the point. You guys know Hebrews 1 for to which, the, to which of the angels did the Father ever say, You are my Son. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Verse 16, all things were created by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. Again, first principles, right? First principles. People say, Jim, when you're processing a hard thing, what do you do? First principles. He's God. He's Jesus. He's done this. He's promised this. I'm okay. I'm up. Right? It's always first principles. He's the creator. He's the savior. Yes, he's the judge. It would, be, it would behoove me as the thinking person to submit my life to this great God. If you don't understand... What's being communicated in Colossians 1.16, Romans 11.36, you are lost in this world. You are utterly lost. You are utterly clueless. You are rudderless. You have no idea why you're here and what you're supposed to be doing. And what the overarching meaning and purpose of your life is, right? What is it? It's not you. It's Christ. It's Christ. It's why Jim Albright. It's why Jim Albright. Jesus Christ. So as Bible-believing Christians, we understand. We get it. We not only get it, we love it, right? We get it, and we love it. It ain't about me, man. It's about an awesome God who's bought me out of hell, right? Bought me out of hell. I get it, man, and I love it. And it changes what I do when I roll out of bed in the morning. It changes how I live. So why you, why me, why marriage, why badgers, why waves, why protons, why supernovas? For the glory of God. Why this turmoil? For the glory of God. Why this anxiety? For the glory of God. Why this trial for the glory of God? Why this pain for the glory of God? Romans eleven thirty six. 36. It's always applicable, beloved. It's always applicable. Again, I can hear Paul. I can hear it going around in his head. What? Really? Seriously? Are you kidding me? You're going to add something to Christ? This Christ who speaks worlds into existence, who has, you know, dominion over all things? You're going to add, you're going to add tiresome, boring religion to him? I can hear it. At least I think I can. What's going on in his mind? Verse 17. He is before all things. Paul says he transcends the beginning in the beginning before the beginning began Jesus was right the first and the last the alpha and the omega this is your savior 
He's not a Johnny-come-lately. God didn't staff it out to him. He's God. And He's the one that has bled out for us. You guys know John 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 17, Paul says, In Jesus Christ, all things hold together. Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power, right? Some of you who read science, you understand that scientists have discovered that there's this exquisite choreography uh, that allows the earth to, to be what it is and to support life. It's called the fine-tuning argument. And there are like myriad um, uh, constants, phys physics, physical constants, I'll say it that way, that must be right, many of them to less than 1%, or you can't live. He's holding it together. I was reading recently that, that some scientists don't really understand why, why the, the, the nucleus of the atom holds together. They really don't understand why it holds together. I know why it holds together. Why does it hold together? You know why it holds together. Christ is holding it together. You guys know Hebrews, what is it? Did I write it down? I think it's 1, 3. He's holding all things by the word of his power. He's upholding it all. Why does the, the, the nucleus of the atom hold together? He's holding it together. Why does your brain fire again? He's, he sent the instruction. I, I'm just trying to, I, I, okay, I'm just trying to, to paint a canvas here. You get some sense of how great he is. And you stop playing religion with him. And you start living for him. Because at the end of the day, that's what matters. That's what matters. I don't care. I don't care if you make billions. I don't care what you do. You may, be the, you may be the greatest philanthropist in the world. It doesn't matter. If it's for your glory, it doesn't matter at all. It's all going to burn up. Right? But if it's for him, yeah. <laughs> it will be amazing. Did I read verse 18? I don't think I did. Let, let me finish up. Verse 18 and 19. Jesus is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Obviously, Jesus is the head of the church. He's the source, the cause, the reason for the church. He's the resurrected leader of the church. And just like the brain on a human or, pardon me, a physical organism uh, controls growth, it also directs the body. He's head of the church. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church. And I'm going to say parenthetically, don't add anything to the gospel. Listen, you guys know I'm, I'm writing this book about the wrath of God. This is not something you want to toy with. You don't want to presume on Him. You don't want to believe false things about Him. You don't want to believe that He's constrained by His love and can never judge. This is all false. 
He will judge. And he knows how to judge. Infinitely. It's who he is. You know, many people in the modern church, they've just forgotten all these things he said and all these things he's done. <laughs> he killed the whole world, but eight people one time. He will be glorified in his justice, if not in his grace. <coughs> Beloved, these are things we need to be cognizant of. As I, as I studied these, this passage, and I'm about done. As I studied these, this passage here, I, I, it made me think of John. You know, you know how John begins 1 John. He says, you know, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what I heard from the word of life and what I saw from the word of life. And, and I actually touched the word of life. And then John goes on to say, you know, if it's new, it's wrong. It's never changed. The gospels never changed. If someone's teaching you something new, it's wrong. And if it's wrong, where is it from? We know where it's from. It's from the pit of hell. New is wrong. This is right. Only this. Only this. You can't trust me unless I'm on this. If I'm off this, don't believe anything I say. Don't, don't believe anything I say if I'm, if I'm off this. If I'm on this, you better believe it. Right? And you better take it home and deal with it and figure it out with God. Yeah, don't believe me. But you better believe God. You better believe His Word. So Paul says Jesus is God. It's a first principle. Is it hard right now? First principle. He's God. I'm going to, I'm going to trust my God. Romans 8, 28 is true every day. You know, it's, just, it's always going back to first principles. It's always... First principle. So as I said, Paul is setting us up for chapter 2. He's going to annihilate these Christ plus apostasies. Jesus is God, verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. And he's going to say it again in Colossians 2.9. He's going to say, for in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. First principles, brothers and sisters, Romans 11, 36. Romans 11, 36. So unbeliever, nominal churchgoer, right? You need him. You need him. And he is able to save. He's God. He does whatever He pleases in heaven and earth. Yeah, the mountains melt like wax before this God. He can save, and He can save to the uttermost. Christian, I would just exhort you, consider how beautiful He is. Consider how able He is. Consider how stunning and wonderful He is. Paul's holding Him up. We're looking at Christ. It ought to change tomorrow. If you're, looking at, if you're really looking at God, it'll change tomorrow. I tr trust me, I'm an old man. When I really look at God, I get changed, <laughs> right? 
it'll change tomorrow. And I couldn't help, I'm done. I couldn't help but go back to that passage we saw um, a couple of weeks ago. Remember, how, how should this spill out into our lives? How should Romans 11:36 and uh, Colossians 1:16 spill out into our lives? We saw it. It's in verse 10, Colossians 1, that you may walk in a manner worthy of him. So that's what I'm calling you to, Christian, tonight. That you go out the door and walk in a manner worthy of this unspeakably great God. Your Savior. Your crucified Savior. Your crucified, buried, risen, reigning, returning Savior. Live in a manner, manner worthy of Him. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table tonight. I hope that you have prepared your hearts. If not, we will give you an opportunity to do that. We have open communion here.